Thank you, Jesus. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We shared a bunch of prophetic songs from my youth, from my junior high and high school years and college years that really ministered to me big time. I like to share stuff from my heart because it's real. And God prophesied to me every day of my life, sovereignly through all creation, communicating to me through everything. And I was aware of it a lot of times. It's, what, it's how I got here today, by listening to the Father speak sovereignly through all creation. And it's the only way I'm alive. Yeah, I overdosed over 15 times. Yeah. I tried to kill myself. I was actually, I took four hits of acid one time, two double-dip sugar, sugar cubes of Timothy Leary acid when I was in Whitefish, Montana, uh, 17 years old, and I was coming down from an acid trip and suicidal, and uh, I went to this bridge, and I was going to jump off, and there's all kinds of debris under the bridge. And I, there was like all kinds of sharp objects coming out, and I had a vision of being Im impaled. And I literally was slipping off the edge. I was it. Yeah, I, I was slipping off the edge. I was so high. I wouldn't have done it sober, but I was so high. I was like, this is it, because I saw the vision. I was like this close from killing myself. And two young children came running over the hill. And this was like 6 o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept because I'm high on acid. And so two young children, I mean, like ages five and seven or so, come running over the, the hill to where I was on the bridge, and there's no one around. And they say, hey, mister, hey, mister, what are you doing? Hey, mister. And they were the exact ages of my two younger brothers, Nick and Alec, at the time. And light shot right through my heart, and I backed up like I came out of a phase. And I, said, and I walked with the two children out to the top of the hill, and they disappeared. Yeah, when I was 17. So two angels saved my life from killing myself from an acid trip when I was 17 in Whitefish, Montana. Whew! Thought I'd share that with you because I want to just pour out my heart on you guys. I've had an extremely interesting life. I've lived in 24 different states in the U.S. Before I was 18, I lived throughout Canada, uh, running from the FBI twice because my dad, who, bless his heart, passed away last month, kidnapped me twice called it kidnapping, but it was just a nasty custody battle so that I lived with my dad and my sister lived with my mom and uh, I only have one 100% blood sister, Ashley, some of you know her, and so uh, the deal was that I'd live with my dad and my sister lived with my mom, but then my mom got a better lawyer and my dad lost the custody battle and, and so basically I'd never see my dad again because he's from Seattle. My mom's from Minneapolis, and so I'd live in Minneapolis. So he came back and kidnapped me twice, and I lived with him two and a half years, running from the FBI. My face was on milk carton boxes as a kid, and it was actually through like a milk carton box that they found me and returned me to my mom one time. And another time they found me because I had a, face, a fake passport because my dad's a genius, and I had a fake passport that said Brandon Bartholomew on it with a fake name. That was legitimate that he had gotten through the veterans as a Vietnam vet, and they he just got me a fake social security number and a fake passport. And we had a trimaran. We lived in Galveston, Texas, and we were literally that week about to set sail 
to leave the country and to live in other nations. And and I, I'm hanging out with my friend, going to junior junior first grade in Galveston, Texas, and we're playing video games or something, you know, Atari 2600, and I just slip out of the side of my mouth, I miss my mom. I miss my mom. That's all I said. And they're like, where's your mom? I'm like, well, I love my dad. I love my dad. I'm, you know, I, I didn't like narc on him or anything. The only information that slipped out of my mouth was, I miss my mom. So they called missing children's and they popped them. And they, they came and the FBI got them that, like the next day. I was in junior first grade in Galveston. The FBI came and picked me up in school. And I was in uh, foster care until my mom could fly down from Minneapolis. And my dad did two and a half years in maximum federal penitentiary for uh, kidnapping and breaking uh, all kinds of different stuff he'd done. <laughs> but he, he was with the rapists and the murderers and he was in maximum security prison for two and a half years and all he wanted to do was have a relationship with me. So that was the kind of agape sacrificial love and how messed up the world was kind of teaching and lessons I learned in life even before I was in junior high. I mean, that was, I was five, six, four, five, six when all that transpired and moved back to live with my mom in Minneapolis. And as soon as I was able to make a decision at age 12, I had the right to choose who I wanted to live with. And I beelined it back to my dad. And it was, we had a great time. So I lived half my first 18 years with my dad and half of them with my mom, with my dad all over North America, with my mom in Minneapolis. And so that's kind of some of my background of my history of what I've gone through. And then uh, when I was 18, right after the suicide incident with the acid, where the angels saved my life, they ended up picking me up for drug dealing and court ordered me to Minnesota Teen Challenge. And that's where I met Jesus. And, and it was just wild because I didn't believe in God at all. My only exposure to Christianity had been my Catholic school education here in Minneapolis at St. Charles Borromeo. And, uh, and so it was just so crazy because my friends were like, don't become a Bible thumper. I'm like, you guys, I'm the most anti-Christ, Satanist warlock you've ever met. There's no chance I'm going to become a Bible thumper. I mean, that's what I was like. And I was just crazy hedonist, but I, anything rebellious. And, but I was dabbling in witchcraft really severely. I could see demons, I could see dark clouds, I could see visions, I spoke in demonic tongues, I had knowledge of the Necronomicon, I, I was dabbling in all that stuff, and, and pretty deeply too. I'd be demon-possessed for days on end, and I'd come back into consciousness not knowing what the devils had done with my body. Several times that happened. I'd stand in front of the mirror sober on no drugs, no alcohol. I'd stand in front of the mirror, look in the mirror. I could see the, de the demons walking across my eyes. Just in absolute darkness, in perfect darkness. And they ended up expelling me from my senior year of high school because they said they didn't want another Littleton, Colorado incident. Because I was walking in that much darkness. I wrote a, I was really smart. I got a 4.0 in academics in high school. So I had my Letterman's with my genie on my Letterman's jacket. But I wrote an English paper in my like AP English class. It was an advanced placement English. And it so scared them about the lamb's head being severed and you know the devil basically taking over the earth. And it was so graphic that they peed themselves. And I got expelled from high school, my fourth high school, 
my, well, my third high school, Whitefish High School in Montana, I got expelled for an AP English paper. And I showed it to a bunch of people afterwards, and they're like, you didn't write that. That's too good. That's like master's degree level English. I said, I know I didn't write it. Satan in me wrote it. <laughs> and I kept it. I held on to it when I was in Teen Challenge and when I was going through deliverance and still going back and forth into darkness and light. I, I read it as incantation, cursing people in Teen Challenge <laughs> and possessing them with demons. I was a really messed up kid, you guys. But I'm glad I found the Holy Ghost and... And about three months into Teen Challenge, all that junk got cleaned out of me. And I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that really sealed the deal for me. Up until three months after being born again and realizing there was a God, up until being baptized in the Holy Spirit, like I was being pulled back into the occult. I was astral projecting. I was leaving my body doing all the witchcraft stuff, riding backwards on brooms. I mean, I was gone as a warlock, completely gone with demons. And I could see the demons just like now I can see the angels. But I was being pulled back and forth in a counterfeit destiny as a witch until I was sealed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Three months into Teen Challenge, sovereignly baptized, I'm laying on my bed because I was leaning towards the Lord. Because I, I really do love goodness and I wanted to be with God. And I completely chose to follow Jesus at that point. And I know that's why he baptized me. Like, no, no mixture. I'm done with the devil. Let's check out Jesus. I knew nothing about Jesus. I knew nothing about the light. Darkness is all I'd ever known that I could remember at that point. Because I couldn't remember my innocent years as a toddler and stuff like that. Where angels used to read me out of a picture Bible when we'd be in the motorhome. I remember telling my dad, Dad, there's angels reading to me out loud. I could see the whole angel as a child. I had white hair, a little blonde kid, and the angels would read me the picture. But I forgot all those positive experiences when I got into the old cult. At age 12, I asked Satan into my heart and had demonic experiences on a very deep level for six years from 12 to 18. It was, it was absolutely insane. Interesting thing, before I asked Satan in my heart when I was 12, I had a visitation of a being in my room at 2300 St. Anthony Parkway. I've never shared this before, but God's brought it into my attention. When my mind's getting renewed and I'm getting all those years back that Satan stole from me, and I'm having clarity and understanding through all the drug years, when I would, before I asked Satan in my heart at 12, I had a visitation of a being that was a blonde girl named L. And what's so wild about this angel L is that when I got involved in the glory stream, you know, 25 years later, Jeff Jansen's talking about the angel L, all these other prophets are talking about the angel L, the signs and wonder angel, and all this different stuff. And I believe that was the same exact angel that had talked with Jeff Jansen and all these other prophets and stuff that I heard about 25 years later that visited me when I was like 12 years old. Because I had the, the light and the darkness option at 12. Was I going to take the path with the angel of light? Or was I going to take the path with the devil? And I took the path with the devil. I did. I said no to the goodness of that angel L. And I, I thought it was like my firstborn daughter. I didn't have clarity. But God's telling me that's the same angel that was ministering with the glory stream. Ministering the gemstones and this angel L. Blonde girl looking angel. Holy Spirit. Very interesting stuff. So a lot of clarity is coming from your childhood of stuff that's transpired and happened to you. Everything that's happened in your life, there is spirits behind it.
but when you're in the dark spirits, there's no understanding. Now when you come into the glory light, there becomes an illumination and a revelation of what transpired in your entire past, and that's how you get healed. I'm getting healed from, I'm still getting healed from my teenage years. I'm still getting healed from like all that is in the world. I cried more this week than I think I did in my entire life. I was listening to some worship music this week. I cried to the same song five times, like a baby. I fell on my knees. I'm getting so much healing in this love dimension this week. It's just crazy. And all this stuff from childhood's coming up and oh, and just clarity. The confusion is burning. And I can feel it being lifted off the top of my brain. And there becomes like just an open heavens through the soul when I have my memories and all the stuff that's ever happened in my entire life healed with revelation light of His love. So it's a season of tremendous healing of your entire childhood, your college years, all the rebellion, all the religious stuff, all the shadows of darkness that have hurt you and that you've hurt yourself because most of us just did it to ourselves. Most of us, it's really not others doing it to us. There's a few things where others did sin against us, but almost all of us did it to ourselves. So the forgiveness of self is the main one because you sin so bad against yourself, it's so hard. That's Forgiving yourself is the hardest one. It's harder than forgiving others. It's true. Can you forgive yourself for killing yourself or sinning against yourself? As it's written, anyone who sins sexually sins against their own body. Meaning, you sin against yourself. You are killing yourself every time you sin. In the lust of the eyes and lusts of the flesh, which is like two-thirds of all the sin that's in the world. The foxes and the leopards, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Come on, somebody. So, when you get revelation light, from the lamb and you start eating these love apples, you start letting the roots of the apple tree work inside your belly, clear out the roots of bitterness, clear out all the roots of evil, all the roots of adultery, all the roots of pride, and all that stuff gets flushed out of your belly and your bowels of compassion get get loosed by the roots of the apple tree of the garden and the roots of love, the roots of David, the seven spirits of God, working in your bowels of compassion, loosing your bowels of compassion, putting oil of love into your spiritual stomachs and spinning it up, stirring it up, and healing it up, and then burning it up all the way through your soul and mind and out your conscience and just getting your face all cleared up from all the sins that you've committed against others and yourself. My God, come on, somebody. <laughs> That's where we're going, the total purification and sanctification through our root system. It's got to go all the way through your roots for you to have perfect fruit. You want to be sealed in the love glory? You need this exact level of sanctification out of your bowels. The bowels of compassion, First John King James Version, and it is out of your bowels of compassion. It's 100% accurate. It's not just weird King James, you know, Shakespearean speech. This is literal. That's where your bowels of compassion are. That's where the river flows from. Out of your belly flows rivers. But you're not going to have rivers flowing if you got wounds in your spirit. Most people have wounded spirits. We've sinned against our own spirits by our flesh and our brain in partnership with demons. We have killed our own spirits. Most of us have so sinned against our own spirits that we're bitter. We were playing that song during a prophetic music time today, Garden 
by Pearl Jam. A guy walked up to me in a Fred Meyer during the height of the grunge thing, the grunge scene in, what, 1992 or so, 1991, and, he, and Fred Meyer in Seattle handed me the cassette tape and said, you need to listen to this. And it was. It was a prophetic sign and wonder, Garden 10 cassette. I needed to listen to it because most people have a garden full of stone, and if you can't melt the stones in their heart, there's no chance that the Word of God or the Holy Spirit could ever reach them. But nevertheless, we walk amongst their garden of stone. Because God's love is always tapping at your heart to see if you'll soften your stony hearts. Religious people, people that have been sinned against, people that have let Satan into their heart. There are so many Christians, you know, it sounds like extreme stuff, like, well, that's occult. You don't have any idea. Religion is you asking Satan into your heart after you're born again. That's how people get a root of bitterness. Most Christians are bigger Satanists than those people practicing in the occult. Well, how can that be? Let me tell you exactly how it can be. Because the Bible teaches it. Having begun in the spirit, you're trying to finish in the flesh. If you try to finish in your brain what began as a spiritual bowel movement of compassion called the river of life, but you're not no longer using the river and you're just using your natural five physical senses to be good people, Satan slid into your heart. You're a Satanist, not a Christian. It's true. So that's the stony places of the heart. And most people... Satan orchestrates events so you have excuses to get bitter. I've been sinned against. You didn't love me. And then you could love them perfectly for five years and they still won't receive healing because they have the devil in them. Nevertheless, you walk within the stony places of their heart to dissolve the stones because they're real wounds and things did happen. But now the demon possession is all that's left of the wound from could be 35 years ago, could be five years ago, could be 10 years ago. But the reason is you carry the wound in your soul, in your spirit, inside your inner man, and that's how Satan has access to your spirit, and that's why many of you are sick. That's the only legal right that Satan has to enter your body, is if you get bitter, if you get wounded, if you let him wound you, and then you don't receive healing love, the oil of love, into that wound, Satan and his angels have complete access to that whole arena of your life. That's why Christians are so cursed. That's why you look along like the Bible Belt, and it's the greatest poverty in the United States of America. What? How can it be? The most severe poverty, right alongside the most severe church addiction and religion of Christianity. They go hand in hand because they're wounded by religion in their spirit and the fallen angels are the religious demons that have access to their hearts. And Satan doesn't want Christians prospering. Satan doesn't want Christians healthy. Satan doesn't want Christians blessed to be any kind of evidence that there's a God whatsoever that someone can believe in and get happy. God forbid they get happy on Jesus and they get angry at the religious demon like they should be. <laughs> so you have all these attacks of the enemy that are lined up against you. And he uses all kinds of events to get you angry, get you bitter, to get you nasty, to get you into a covenant with death. If you come into a covenant with a fear, if you come into a covenant with a wound, you've covenant, come into covenant with the angel of death, Abaddon. And that's why many of you are sick. 
so how do you break a death contract, a death note, and a death covenant? Let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. You fall in love. You let the roots of the apple tree work in your spirit. You pour the applesauce on their heads. You get around fiery Christians that walk in the love of God, that walk in the glorious love, that walk in all the anointing of love, that are song of songs made flesh, and you just be a sponge. Because love cures all sickness and disease. Every time Jesus Christ healed someone, the Bible says He had compassion. He opened the bowels of compassion. The Father's nature was fully formed in Him, and there was no wounds in Him, so everything the Father felt, Jesus felt as a man. And He just let the river flow out of Him for the Father to heal them. And all the Father is, is love. But He's not phileo love, so people don't understand the Father at all. He's agape love. He's divine love. Divine love is so different than human love. It's the difference between Satan and Jesus Himself. The difference between divine love and human love is as dramatic and drastic as the difference between Jesus, the living God, and Satan, the angel of death. That's how different human love is from divine love. When they were talking and dividing the living and the dead in the Gospels, they said, did John's baptism, was it from God or from man? And if they muttered amongst themselves, if we say from man, we fear being stoned to death. So being from man gets you stoned to death in Jewish culture in the first century, according to the Bible? Being human in, in, in Judaism was something that would get you stoned to death? Oh, because we're actually following God and not man. Hello? In, in the Jewish Old Covenant, that was the whole point of having a covenant? We're following God. And to follow man, the Bible says you are liable of being stoned to death. That was common received doctrine by every Jew in Israel. That if we are not following God and we're pretending to be leaders in Judaism, we must be stoned to death. But nowadays in Christianity, it's like, yeah, look at the man. There's a man, 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 human, 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 human ability, human ability. And it's like we say God in like theology and doctrine but we don't even follow God. We don't. God is love. <laughs> and the only ones that are demonstrating God are the ones training you in divine love. It's truly entering the king's harem. That language is in Song of Solomon. Harem. Lovers. 133 times in the Bible, the word lovers is used. And 133 is unity of the brethren. Lovers. Do you think Jesus is interested in workers or lovers? Do you think Jesus is interested in having a harem? Was Solomon's harem just a type and shadow of the bridegroom's marriage chambers? Are we to have that level of intimacy in virgin-like holiness with each other's spirit life? Come on. Amen. I tell you the truth. The Pharisees hate divine love. They hate it. They consider it heresy. They say, oh, it's grotesque. It's lustful. You see all the persecution we've got from SOS Jesus sex the last nine years. People have used that video to condemn us publicly by the hundreds. Oh, they're having sex with Jesus. No one's having sex with Jesus. It's the language of Song of Songs, you idiots. <laughs> it's called intimacy using erotica language in all purity for 
to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and immoral, everything is defiled and immoral. Amen. If you can't speak song of songs in purity, that's because Satan lives inside you. Satan is the demon of lust. The Bible puts all this language in there to deal with your lust, to deal with my lust, so we can talk at a language of adulthood about sexual issues, even using sexual language in the Bible to get pure from all of our wounds of lust. Amen. Because we've all been in the leopard's lair and it's all like secret. Like, oh well. Well, listen, guys. That's why we have Song of Songs. It's not secret anymore. You can use that language in purity now. That's why it's written. You can use a love language, an explicit erotic love language in the Holy Spirit and be intimate with one another, enjoy love feasts, and have it not be physical at all. Because we're not perverts anymore. We're not immoral anymore. We're holy and we're righteous and our virginity is restored. And that's what a love feast is. That's what apostolic love feasts of all the apostles of all the church of the first century were. Getting your virginity restored so you could have intimacy with your spirit, with other Christian spirits. Using erotic language or not erotic language. Using, you know, really sound doctrine, bro. And you gotta use wisdom, you know. Or you could use whatever. You could use all the languages that have ever been written. It's the song of all languages. It's a love song. Amen. You can express it as creatively as you want to as long as it's out of the purity of your spirit and intimacy with Jesus Christ in your heart. The bridegroom's chambers are the king's harem. Harem means multiple lovers. And the fellowship that we have with real Christians one to another is inside the harem of his love with nothing physical about it unless you're legally married. Just to be clear. Because that's important too. Amen! Glory to God. And that will just, that kind of spiritual growth of this love realm of glory, this is the hundredfold glory realm. What I'm declaring to you today, which has been so off limits for like forever, <laughs> this is the realm of love. This is the realm of Eden. This is the realm of living under the apple tree and having the roots of the apple tree in your heart, having the branches and the apples coming out your soul, which is the fruits of divine love. You know, the highest fruit that you can bear as a Christian is the fruit of love. And this is how you bear it, by love feasting, intimacy and by purity and holiness, and getting all your virginity restored through your heart and through your mind. Amen? And then the love pours out of you. Everyone feels it. Everyone gets intoxicated. You have favor with everyone because they can feel it. There's a river of love pouring out of your face. It's not lustful, it's not selfish. It's actually pleasurable, and, you're, and they can feel that you actually care for them. And when they can feel in their feelings that you genuinely care for them, they open up and receive. And they're all brides-to-be. Anyone that reflects the love you give from their heart and gives it back to you with a smile is a bride-to-be. Any heart that does not reflect this divine love in their heart and just stays serious, they're not ready to be plucked. They're not ready to be harvested. You can tell they're ready to be harvested by the reflection of the mirror of their heart, reflecting joy when you pour love into their heart. Do not awaken love until the appointed time. How do you know it's the appointed time to pluck and harvest the soul into the glory realm? To start telling them about Jesus and get them out of hell. 
and not just harden their heart even more, beating them up with religion. You need to be saved. You need to go to church. You need to do, 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 do. And you harden their heart even more, and you just kill people with Christianity. Truth guns. You just destroy lives. Well, you wait until they're ready to be harvested. Do not awaken love until the appointed time. Until their heart reflects the love and they can sincerely, you see the reflection of love. When you pour in the glory love of God into them, their faces change and they shoot up with joy. That's a person ready to be harvested. Look for their heads. Are the heads white or shining with joy and, and reflecting from their heart the love that you're pouring out? If they're not, you know, giving back that love, then there's no raping yet. You can't rape you. You've got to keep sowing. So love, so love, so love, until there's something there, evidence on the front of their soul, of their face, that shows that you can rape them. And then, bam, it'll be easy, because it's just, pff, swing your sickle. Harvest is right. Amen? And that's where we're going. We're going to be pouring out so much love that everyone's faces will reveal they're ready to be harvested. And it's not hard work because you bring them right into the glory of God. You bring them right into the Garden of Eden. You add them to the king's harem, King Jesus Christ's harem, which is written in the red letters called the Bridegroom's Chambers of Divine Love. Amen. So that's how the glory harvest is going down for the next few years. Grow in love. Reap in love. You'll know if they're ready to be plucked by their faces responding in love. And you can give a love offering at redlettermen.com and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Amen. Glory. <laughs>